Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine. I'm your host, David McLaughlin, and join me as always, welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Oh, everybody, welcome to the August 1st, 2020 show. Um, on the show uh, this evening, our guest, uh, coming back for, I believe, the second time from 270 to win, Drew Savicki and Drew will join us about 20 minutes into the show. Um, Catherine may also be joining us a little bit later on, um, but in the meantime, we got some topics to discuss. And right off the bat, um, we have talked about this before, but it officially got kicked off uh, Friday night. Um, Wendy Davis, a longtime friend of the show, city commissioner of Rome, a DNC member, she uh, announced you know, probably, I guess you'd say months, not weeks ago uh, for Congress, but she had the official campaign kickoff, and it was at one of the newest and largest hotels in Rome and one of their banquet rooms, and it was literally standing room only to the point where people were standing out in the hall. Um, Tim, I know you had a little bit of of, uh, help organizing that. Did you have any plans that the crowd would exceed the room in the manner it did you know david we we at first were hopeful it was going to be a big crowd and then in recent days we had gotten a little concerned because of the surge in the pandemic that that might keep the crowd down just a little bit and we could not have been more wrong uh there were nowhere near enough places the hotel put out for, for folks to sit in there. People were standing all around the walls, like you mentioned, out in uh, the, the hallway. Uh, I, I know the, lo- the local media coverage of it, the very first thing that they put on their websites was standing room only crowd in big, in big headlines. So we were just, uh, we were just, thrilled with the number of people that came and we had people from all over the district one of the very first persons i ran into was an old friend from up in northern whitfield county drove a long way down there and we were just we were just happy to see everybody and it was a terrific event and a great night Yes, um, as in addition to Wendy giving a speech, um, some introductory speeches, uh, one that I, that was quite rousing. Um, she, uh, you know, did a sneak preview of those in attendance of her campaign kickoff video. Tim, it's my understanding that tomorrow morning, if you want to give us a time, you can, uh, but it will be on the Internet. Tell us about roughly when people can check for that. Well, they just need to uh... – to be checking uh, their email boxes, the folks on the mailing list, and and then some others, and 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 the website. I 
uh, I, I, I won't be saying the exact time, but let's say it, let's say it'll be going out bright and early in the morning, and and folks can check it out pretty early. So, uh, so unless you're very excited about it. It, it, it may be up, so that's what you're hinting at. It sounds yeah. like. Yeah, it it should, <laughs> it should be up pretty early, and um, uh, I, I hope everybody enjoys it. Uh, you, you know, we saw it the other night, and and it, it looked pretty good from where I was standing. What do you think of it? Oh, the, the production values were excellent. It was on message. It did do a good job of of tying the idea of the work she's done for the largest city, you know, in the district. And not that, you know, it would be just work for that city, but if she was in charge of the whole congressional district, it would be all those mm-hmm. places, uh, that mm-hmm. same kind of work, not, you know, it was quite uh, interesting. As that event was taking place, apparently, um, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene was doing performance theater up in the, um, you know, the rotunda <laughs> Uh, you know, up there, uh, there was some kind of rope line, and she did some little skit with, I mean, literally it was a skit with two staffers talking about how here you have to wear a mask and here you don't have to wear a mask, which, you know, at this point, if you're doing performance skits, I mean, you're really missing the point of there's a surge and um, there's no time, even even however you feel about it, there's just no time for, you know, you know, skits about it. I mean, you get on Saturday Night Live if that's what you want to do. Um, you're yeah. really missing the point. And so I thought that juxtaposition about, you know, how in the speech Wendy gave and the people that spoke on her behalf, how she does things to solve real issues, um, which is something yeah. that, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene is just woefully lacking, is um, understanding and getting around the district to actually solve the needs and not be the absolute American queen of reactionary, you know, on the libs politics that has just crystallized into itself into the um, Republican brand you know, in the past um, who, year or two. Who who would have thought a couple of years ago, David, that the 14th congressional district in Georgia would be one of the most closely watched districts by, you know, people in politics and average citizens really all over the country who who would have thought that this district would would have drawn that sort of attention and yet here we are aren't we <laughs> here we are oh yeah i mean i just i guess it was just you know when that seat opened up um there was just not a lot of known candidates and it's really become a playbook for republican primary is the most reactionary um, performance-type candidate really stills the show. Um, and, and that's what she, you know, wrote into Congress. And people, I think, you know, kind of regretting it, even when it got down to a um, runoff between her and John Cowan, um, people were starting mm-hmm. to really worry. And then, of course, you know, we know what happened with the uh, candidate last year. Um, mm-hmm. That kind of, you know, made it even more problematic where, um, it, it wasn't a, a, a you know truly robust race where it was you know at least um, decided you know at the ballot box. Well, speaking right. of today's GOP and, and what's going on, let, let's kind of transition into um, our lead topic. And in the past um, week, there's been more than one piece uh, written. You know, is Donald Trump's a hold on the Republican Party slipping? And I guess Exhibit A 
was the Texas special election where he endorsed uh, Susan Wright, widow of uh, Ron Wright, the um, uh, former congressman that died of COVID. And uh, he she lost the reelection race um, to the person that made the runoff with her, the other Republican, because, you know, that was the race where Paul thought the Democrats could at least get, you know, finish second to be the um, uh, contender for the runoff. But instead, and I, I don't have the gentleman's name in front of me that, that, that won that seat, and I guess, you know, winning that runoff to get that second place finish became quite valuable for him. Um, but, but, Tim, how big a deal um, regarding, you know, Trump's influence do you think this is? Well... You know, a lot of people, and, and we've heard them, are, are pointing to the result there in, in uh, Texas 6. And, and because Trump's candidate lost, I, I you know, I, I'm not sure that proves too much right there. Uh, Susan Wright, you know, as you mentioned, the widow, the former seat holder, she just ran a poor campaign. And also, most of the according to the Texas Tribune, most of the independents and Democratic voters who voted voted for uh, Jake Elsey, the winner of the race. So, if you're looking at the strength of Trump through endorsements, it would be better, I think, to look at the results in multiple races all over the country. In a whole cycle. Because, look, Trump is still without question the main player in Republican politics. If he wants to run in 2024, I, I don't think there is any way he does not get the nomination. Now, personal popularity don't always translate into party control. He, he, we, we know he's not in office anymore, David, and, and of course his influence has waned some just because he's not in office. There, there are now multiple senators and House members, as I'm looking up here at my television right now, I'm waiting on a vote on the infrastructure bill. And there's a bunch of them who do not follow Trump's lead on issues to be voted on, like this infrastructure bill. You know, Trump opposes this thing. He gave it a full-throated opposition, thumbs down. Uh, and there's going to be a bunch of Republicans that vote for it. The matter of fact, Republicans had a hand in putting this bill together. Still, for now, don't you think the Republican establishment is going to have to continue to at least express fealty to Trump? I mean, he could, with a word, take enough votes with him to wreck, say, the midterms for the Republicans, and they simply need his millions of followers to continue to vote for them, right? Yes, I, I, I for, you know, going back to the first thing, I don't think Susan Wright's loss – is this huge indicator. Um, uh -huh. You know, I just don't think she was the same type of candidate as Julia Letlow in, in mm -hmm. Louisiana. Um, it was kind of mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, her only claim to fame, it seemingly, was that she was the, the, you know, the spouse of the former congressman, whereas, you know, Julia Letlow had a resume on her own. 
that she could run mm-hmm. on. Um, and so I think, you know, that may have been part of that there. Um, and so Trump's endorsement, and I'm not sure how full-throated it was and if he did this, um, you know, big rally there. Did they send out mailers? I've heard that it wasn't a very well-run campaign either um, for whatever mm-hmm. reason in the Fort Worth area. Mm-hmm. And so that mm-hmm. could have been in there. So, And I know that now the, you know, Trump people are blaming her and her campaign completely, you know, oh, how could you make me a loser, you know, or look like a loser by you losing. Well. It's just, it's all about him. <laughs> and then, but then you go well. to the next part of this, which is the infrastructure bill. Did you have something to add to the, the Susan Wright loss? Well, I was going to make a mention of the endorsements. What I think Trump is doing He's giving out those endorsements too easily to people that he doesn't even have a clue who they are. All he knows is that it's someone who has just gushingly said the most marvelous things about how great he is and that sort of thing. And he just eats that sort of thing up. I think he needs to be more careful about who he endorses. Of course, we know he's not going to do that. He's going to do the thing I mentioned to start with. If anybody brags on him, they got a good chance of getting his endorsement, and it might be somebody that has no chance to win. And in a lot of cases, it will be. So that's the point I was going to make about endorsements. Trump needs to watch who he endorses. Yeah, less endorsements where those that have more powerful maybe actually, you know, look at some polling, although, you know, maybe they're just now suspect of polls in general, which honestly, you know, we've discussed this before. I'm not so sure how you can poll in the Republican primary because, um, you know, so many of their voters probably won't answer polls, and you're depending on them even more than you would in a general election. I think, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Democratic primary polls are going to be, you know, one of the last few bastions of, you know, reliability until, you know, this issue, you know, gets corrected. Um, yeah. And it's not the pollsters, yeah. I think, that correct it. I think it's um, the, the respondents have to um, become the random sample they're supposed to be. Now, to this infrastructure bill. You're absolutely right. A lot of Republicans support it because a lot of them supported it when Donald Trump pushed this. And actually, from what I, my understanding was, Donald Trump's bill was actually more total dollars. And, of course, uh-huh. I mean, you could claim it, I guess, by both of them. Neither one comes with new taxes, and therefore you could say, oh, how do you pay for it? Well, Donald Trump's not going to pay for it. It wouldn't pay him for itself either, and it was actually more total dollars. So if you supported new infrastructure, you say, hey, the roads and the bridges are out of date. This would be a job creator, these other reasons. Why would you not support it unless it was just I want to deprive Joe Biden and the Democrats to win? Well, you know what? Maybe it goes back to Trump being president. Trump had a Republican Congress. Trump didn't know how to shepherd a bill through Congress that he wanted. He didn't know how to work the phones and and how the game, the quote game is is played. Uh, His total lack of experience left that 
bill of his on the trash heap of history. Now we have a president who spent 36 years in the United States Senate, knows every nook and cranny of the Capitol, knows how it operates totally, and therefore is able to get a bill out there and and apparently a bill that has been worked on in a bipartisan fashion and it's going to draw support from both sides even though there are people on both sides who don't care for some of the things in it still they're coming together for the good of the country they're going to pass something and so we saw good government in operation as opposed to the previous four years when, let's face it, we didn't use the words good government on this show very much to describe that, did we? No, and and that's the thing is, is this is something that, you know, Donald Trump talked infrastructure for so long that mm-hmm. he got kind of just left, you know, um, Joe Biden's layup, and it was something that people on both sides of the aisle supported because there are, um, I'm sure, yeah, I mean, I'm not yeah. an infrastructure engineer or anything else, but there's places where, um, and, and particularly I'm sure in parts of the country that aren't as new, and when I say new, I just mean grew later than, you know, where we live in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and places like that, that the infrastructure is age, aging because it was built far long ago, and the city may have even well, been a bigger city way back when, and so they haven't well, rebuilt things, and they and people know it's needed. Um, yeah, okay. And so they put this bill forth, and a bunch of Republicans voted for it. Now he's, you know, railing against these Republicans, uh, the ones that do, and it's not all and of them because obviously some are want to deprive Joe Biden of win. That's my that's my next question to you, David. In the past, when Donald Trump, especially when he was president, railed against some Republican, it was a kiss of death for him politically. Now we got Mitch McConnell standing up there on the floor of the Senate and saying, "I support this bill. We got a bridge in Kentucky. We need. We got senators, you know, all over saying, and and congressmen too saying, we need this bill." And they apparently are doing so with no fear of retribution. Uh, does Trump not have the power with a word to sink political careers anymore if they lost their fear of him? Or are they losing their fear of him? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's I guess it's going to matter district by district. And once again, that's where you get into polling of, you know, where is he strong and where is he weak? Um, seemingly in the Republican Party, he's strong, you know, everywhere is the, you know, is what the thought is supposed to be, um, is, is he has that kind of power wherever. Um, and seemingly, I guess yeah. he has the power, the more Republican a place is, the stronger his influence, um, will be and will remain. Um, now how much do you think him not being able to be on social media, uh, at least the normal sources like Facebook and Twitter hurt his um, megaphone. Especially on Twitter, it is just killing him. It's just killing him. That man has lived on Twitter 
for the last, well, however long Twitter's been in existence, he's been there. And for the last, oh, I'd say decade, he's had millions of followers. And for the last, you know, five or six years, he has had millions of devoted followers that hang on every word. And right now, he's having trouble getting those words out there. And uh, it's hurting him. And plus, Twitter see all the members of Congress see it. Every tweet they hear about, every tweet right now, that's not happening. It's killing him. Yep, and he and he closed his press uh, press release site down, um, even though it was a way to you know get it out there, but people wouldn't didn't check it apparently. Well, right. we want to welcome into the Kudzu Vine for the second time for North Carolina, Mr. Drew Savicki. Welcome back, Drew. Hey, thanks for having me again. Yeah. Um, well, Drew, um, I, I wanted to start off. I mean, you, you know, you're so prolific on Twitter uh, all the time, um, you know, typing about different political issues and social issues and other things as well. But we're, we're not going to talk, um, you know, <laughs> so, uh, you know, entertainment and things like that. But you, you did talk about the pandemic a lot. And even today you were talking you made a statement and I'm just going to paraphrase it. Um, you know, for some people, normal never left. You know, that they didn't follow guidelines. Uh, so now that COVID has raged back, they don't care because they never stopped going to restaurants and they never masked up and they didn't vaccinate. Um, tell us a little bit more about your thinking there. Well, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people in who – or in, you know, uh, very conservative rural areas, take, you know, maybe someone out deep in rural Wyoming, and chances are someone like living there probably never took COVID seriously to begin with. Um, if you look at the demographics, how they vote, um, given how COVID, you know, so strongly fell along party lines, how people responded to it, uh, a lot of these people, they never took it seriously to begin with. So this message of, get vaccinated and we can return to normal just falls flat among them because they never changed their lives at all. Yes. Well, now let me ask you to kind of project forward. Um, you know, as these viruses go, every time they mutate, they get stronger. Um, let's just assume that the vaccinations, you know, stay pretty reliable. If they need a, you need a booster shot, people can get one. So this segment of the population, right now roughly 50%, just under, let's hope it gets above 50. But, I mean, I do think there's a certain point in which it just doesn't go any higher. Even if loved ones, unfortunately, do go to the hospital, I mean, they talk to these people, you didn't have the vaccine, you've got COVID, you're on a ventilator, or you were on a ventilator, I still wouldn't get it. It's Joe Biden's agenda. You know, a year from now, Let's say we get to 65%, but the, the virus keeps getting stronger. What does this look like uh, both socially and politically? Just kind of project ahead. Um, I think we're going to keep seeing an increased friction in Congress. You know, uh, you know, Democrats are going to want to, you know, Democrats like to help everybody, even if they don't vote for them. But, uh, you know, the Republican representatives from these places, uh, you know, they didn't support any COVID relief the last time 
it was up, and uh, I don't think they'd support any future COVID relief down the line in terms of, you know, if we keep seeing, you know, many outbreaks, if that becomes the future, if it becomes certain parts of the country exclusively see outbreaks, uh, they're not going to support any help to their own communities, probably. Yes, I mean, it's just a kind of a sad thing to think about that it, um, there doesn't seem to be an end in sight until people, you know, get more on board with medicine. Um, and, yeah. And that kind of leads into my next question. Well, go ahead. Go ahead, Drew. Yeah, and something else I've talked about is uh, particularly the challenges in the Black Belt um, has seen a bit lower of vaccination rates than um, other Democratic-leaning areas. And, you know, and I personally think, you know, it, it's probably a combination of both access and, you know, hesitancy given um, the mistreatment the medical system has given to black people in this country over the years. You know, there is some legitimate um, hesitancy uh, uh, among black folks in this country owing to centuries of mistreatment that they may be a bit more skeptical of receiving vaccination. Yeah, I mean, it's not just a, a you know, one-size-fits-all problem. Um, well, that was yeah. kind of my next qu- – leading to my next question. Um, there's been, you know – I saw a meme earlier today, and it talked about, you know, how on one side you have all these um, doctors and epidemiologists and, you know, it mentioned all these medical professionals. And on the other side, you have some people that barely uh, pass science class. You just don't know who to believe anymore. Um, and, of course, that was meant jest, but the bigger point is, are we going to see other things besides these vaccines and besides masking policies and social distance policies where conservative voters don't trust medicine and then start to you know, push away further and further from all kinds of medical science? Um. Hmm, that is a good question. Um, I think I think the politicization of medicine during COVID, yeah, I, I think down the line that could have real consequences for future public health issues. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, which is you know it, it's funny because you know many uh, most of the doctors in Congress are Republicans. Um, you know, that tends to be a demographic that at least when it comes to Congress, um, they tend to be Republicans. If you think about what kinds of communities Republicans in Congress represent, well, they mostly come from rural areas. And who is a, a big fixture of rural communities? Well, it's doctors, ironically enough. You know, there's someone everybody in a rural community knows. Everybody knows your local doctor. Yeah, and so that could hurt them with candidate recruitment because, you know, these doctors yeah. may be like, well, you've, you've, you know, said all these terrible things about my profession. I don't want to be associated with you anymore. Um, and, and then they yeah. may either decide not to run or, or run as Democrats, um, which then could affect both parties, um, you know, the way they um, align in different ways. So that is a, a good point you made about candidate recruitment. Yeah. Let me kind of change gears and get back to more hard, you know, regular politics, Um, and I want to talk about Ohio, and uh, you've mentioned uh, earlier in the week about J.D. Vance, how 
So many Democrats read J.D. Vance's book. I listened to it. I watched the movie. I think I know mm-hmm. Tim watched the movie. I don't, I don't know if Tim read the book, but um, you know, took it for what it was worth. It was a, it was a story about his life, and whether I agree or disagree with him, I can respect that that was his life and just take it as a memoir. But um, now his politics have turned more right-leaning because he wants to win office, and that's the way you win a Republican primary. Kind of what's your thoughts on his campaign and his book and how it all fits together? Yeah, Vance is really struggling to get – he has low name recognition um, in Ohio, especially among Republican circles, Um, because as as I've noted and you noted – you know, the bulk of the people who bought J.D. Vance's book were Democrats, people seeking to understand who Trump voters were. It wasn't Trump voters seeking to understand themselves. Uh, they didn't really need a book for that. So, yeah, he, and he hasn't really been involved in Ohio politics much. He doesn't really have any history of local involvement. So a lot of people just don't know the name. Uh, but uh, one advantage he has is that he's rich and he can spend uh, a great deal of money to boost his name recognition. Yeah, it's so funny how, um, and I think that harkens back to your earlier point about you know Democrats wanting to help everybody. You know, Democrats they wanted to understand these Trump voters. You know, Trump voters are like, yeah, mm-hmm. I understand who you know the Clinton voters were because this would have been after 2016. They're all the weirdos and the criminals. You know, I don't need to understand them. Uh, <laughs> I just think it's so uh, interesting how both parties see things. One wants to understand and listen and feel and care, and the other one's like just wants their way. Um, well, let's stay in Ohio. On Tuesday, there's two big special elections. Um, one's gotten a lot of attention on social media. The other one doesn't. And even though I do think um, the Republican may win Steve uh, Stiver's seat um, because it's a Republican-leaning district, I do think it may be more instructive about where we are for the midterms if the Democratic candidate – and um, actually there's more than one – but there is a state, uh, state senator, um, uh, maybe more than one state senator for a for the Democrats, I'm trying to find her name, um, Allison Russo. She's a state rep. There's also a retired um, a colonel that's a Democrat. But if one of those Democrats then finishes second, you know, if they have a runoff situation, I'm not sure about Ohio law. Um, that's when we have experts like you on the show. That could kind of be instructive to see where we're at in districts like the 15th in Ohio. Kind of give me your thoughts on it. Yeah, Ohio 15 is pretty interesting because uh, Trump threw his backing behind um, a little-known coal businessman um, instead of the, um, I believe, a a state legislator that Steve Stivers had uh, strongly thrown his backing behind. Um, So it will be an interesting test to see if Trump's endorsement is still valuable enough to get someone over the top in an open primary like that. Yes, the general election probably isn't too competitive, as it is a fairly Republican-leaning seat, and it, and it is well uh, a well-drawn district that's designed to uh, dilute the parts of the uh, Columbus suburbs 
and fill them with a bunch of rural counties. Um, um, Sherrod Brown is the only uh, Democrat to have carried it this decade, uh, 2018. That shows you how tough a seat it is for Democrats. Um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see, like, if Steve Stivers, what percentage of the vote he got in 2020, if the Democrats exceed that by a few points, what will that tell us? If they go under that amount, kind of like in the Texas uh, race where Democrats uh-huh. did make the runoff, I mean, even in the loss, what can we learn about, you know, for the midterms? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it was about uh, Trump plus 15 in 2020. So uh, whittling down that margin by even a few points would be uh, uh, a decent indicator, maybe, of how things are going. As we saw in the New Mexico, one special Democrat slightly exceeded Biden's margin there in Albuquerque. Uh, So that was a positive sign for them. Um, Well, we'll see if Democrats. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to see. Also, I'm kind of interested to see uh, John Adams, how well he does. Um, Obviously not the second president of our country and one of our founders. Um, That's a bigger story. We should have led with it if it really is. Um, But just the fact that this gentleman is named the same name, um, could he get an outsized portion of the vote um, because of his name? Just because people go, oh, hey, I know that one, um, and just checking it as their low information about all the candidates. Well, now, let's talk about the election that's getting all the attention, and it's a list of over 10 candidates, but it's all about uh, two candidates on social media. County Councilwoman Chantel Brown, uh, ex-state senator and ex-Cleveland Councilwoman Nina Turner are getting all the attention. Um, give us your thoughts on that race. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's gotten pretty nasty in recent weeks. Yeah, it, it seems like Turner had a, a pretty big edge for a while, but uh, there's been a lot of money poured in on the uh, side of Chantel Brown. A lot of Democrats are uh, uh, getting behind her. But, um, yeah, I, I think Turner probably wins it. She has... Um, I know she's got some criticism for involving a lot of national figures, but that does um, obscure the reality that she does have a lot of local ties, that she does have a, a pretty deep reservoir of local ties to her community. Um, and I think that probably puts her over the top in what is uh, a pretty interesting district as it stretches from Cleveland all the way down to Akron. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of parts of the district, a lot of different kinds of voters to turn out. Um, it's been a long time since we saw a special election in a majority black congressional district. So it'll, it'll be very interesting to look at the turnout. Uh, we haven't seen anything quite like that in a long time. Uh, certainly not. Uh, we certainly haven't yeah, seen um, this kind of funding in a, in a primary. Um, it's, it's kind of unreal to see a special election primary see millions of dollars spent. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, I'm looking on Politics One, and it is a primary general situation uh, for their yeah. special election. Um, well, now, how much do you think the race could get so nasty that the two of them um, 
you know, by the way, it sounds like they, they're going to combine for 95% of the vote. What if they combine for under, say, 80% of the vote and all these other candidates add up to, say, 20%? What would that tell us about the race? Yeah, that, that could – yeah, there are a lot of people on the ballot. And in primaries, uh, a lot of voters don't really know who these people are. Some cases, it's just people picking random names. Um, yeah, I'm very interested to see how well um, any of these other candidates do. They haven't really raised any money uh, compared to Brown and Turner. Uh, so we'll see if there's any sort of um, – if they do get a decent chunk of the vote, I think it'll be because of the negative ads probably. Since, since the tone of the race has changed dramatically in recent weeks, I think some people may not like that, may not appreciate the nastiness. Yeah, I, I know. I, would, I did see a, a commercial uh, for Nina Turner, and it was kind of it was on a line, and I noticed that it was very different in the tone of when she say campaign for Bernie Sanders. It was a much softer gentler image mm-hmm. of Nina Turner, and I wondered if they had gotten some polling um, that showed that they needed to do that and how effective that will be. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. She's definitely uh, uh, changed her image uh, uh, quite a bit over the course of the campaign from her time working with Bernie. Yeah, she's definitely uh, softened up and sort of cozy up to the establishment a lot more. You know, she's uh, she spent a lot of time courting those votes. Um, yes. Well, one final thing. It's really not. It's more of a comment than a question. I'm gonna pass it over to Tim. I, I love the fact that James Jerome Bell and uh, the listing about his campaign and his qualifications. It lists that he's a notary. Uh, in all my years of following <laughs> politics, I don't think I've ever seen it where somebody lists that they're a notary. So I guess if he were to get elected, I mean, you could go see your congressman and say, hey, got to have this notarized. Um, always good to know. Um, well, I'm going to pass it over to Tim so he can ask you some more questions, Drew. Tim? Sure. Yeah, good evening, Drew, and thank you for being back on with us. I want to start with a question that I wanted to ask you before when you were on the last time, and we ran out of time, and I didn't get to ask you this. but So I'm going to ask you this question now. You know, you did the Road to 270 series back in 2020, which, by the way, was some of the great political writing to me of the whole campaign. I really enjoyed reading that stuff. Um, Thank you. And you... And you wrote about a lot of states, so i got to ask you, as a person who studies these states, which state do you find to be the most interesting state politically and why? Um, I've always been very fond of Rhode Island. I think it's a really fun, quirky little place. Um, Uh It's very neat neat demographic. Um, It's only about 75% white these days, um, has a rising uh, Hispanic population, and also has one of the most active mafias in the country, um, oh. which is kind of funny. As you wouldn't really think, you know, if, any, if you thought of the United States was active mafia, you'd think New York, New Jersey. No, it, it's really Rhode Island. Uh, it's <laughs> no, become I, I wouldn't have thought of that. <laughs> for, for corrupt politics. Yeah, because it's such a small state, you know. Everybody knows uh-huh. each other. So that comes to 
lend itself to uh, a bit more corruption. And there's a big, um, since it's such a one-party state, there's such a, a big gap in the state Democratic Party there. The uh, state uh-huh. House Speaker actually lost re-election to a Republican last year because he represented an Obama-Trump district in Cranston, a very industrial city. Um, he was a conservative Democrat. He was uh, against abortion rights, endorsed by the NRA, divide in the legislature between increasingly progressive Democrats and your older generation of blue-collar um, Democrats, very ethnic, a lot of Italian names, those kinds of old-school Democrats you used to find across the Northeast. Well, that, that, you, you really surprised me by picking Rhode Island, but, man, that's, that place sounds wild, especially the yeah, thing about yeah. the mafia. That's, that's just amazing. Well, yeah, my dad was uh, my dad was born and raised in, in Rhode Island, so uh, anytime we visited, I I was just fascinated by it. It's um, it, it's just become my favorite state in the country over the years. Okay. Well, on this show, we have historically talked about your state of North Carolina a lot, mm-hmm. and, and it seems. To folks like me that don't live there, that North Carolina is just a tough state to figure out. I've got to ask you, how does the state elect Roy Cooper and some of the same voters that vote for Roy Cooper also voted for Donald Trump in the same election? Yeah. What, what, what sort of state? Which way is that state even trending, uh, Drew, or, or is yeah. there any trend? Yeah, North Carolina is very stubbornly just just barely right of center, you know. We we lean just uh-huh. narrowly Republican. That uh, uh-huh. yeah, you know, there's been a lot of Democratic go- growth in Charlotte and Raleigh, but that's counterbalanced uh-huh. by that huge growth of retirees along the coast. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of big counties in this state that are deeply Republican, thanks to retirees. But a lot, a lot of them are along the coast. Um, you know, it's it's a problem for Democrats that these counties cast over a hundred thousand votes. It's big retiree hubs. But uh, Cooper has really uh, managed to be able to uh, win such coalitions over the years. You know, he's been in North Carolina politics, uh, I think, since the mid '80s. I think he was first elected to state legislature. So mm-hmm. everybody in North Carolina knows Roy Cooper at this point. You know, he's he's got that universal name recognition. People like him. You know, he's very relatable. Mm-hmm. Never had any scandals as attorney general. Uh, you know, he was attorney general for, you know, 16 years. Not a single scandal that I can think of. Uh, people trust him. Mm. Uh, he's, got well, that, uh, he's got a whole trustworthy face. I think people... I think people just instinctively like the man. He's very friendly. Hmm. Yeah, it definitely doesn't translate to other Democrats here. He, he really uh, runs ahead of everybody else. Yeah. You seem to have all types in that state. And one I wanted to ask you about is Madison Cawthorn, who seems to constantly say, 
some of the most controversial things. He just made the news for trying to board a plane with a gun. Is this stuff hurting or helping him with the voters in his district, or does it not even matter? Um, it's probably helps them. Uh, since he represents Western North Carolina, uh, the uh-huh. only thing that's Democratic out there would be Asheville, which is uh, a uh-huh. very liberal city, but it's not nearly big enough to drown out all those rural counties out there. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I mean, he, you know, it used to elect Democrats, but definitely not these days. Um, it's pretty Republican. Um, it's it's proven very difficult for Democrats to compete out there, uh, despite, uh, you know, I know some might think, you know, Cawthorn isn't doing himself any favors with these scandals, but I think the Republican base probably is wild for him. Uh, they probably love the guy. Hmm. Do, do you wonder at what point someone like that goes over the line, or is there a point with the Republican base voters where he would cross a line? Probably getting probably getting charged with a crime. I think is the one thing that seems uh, pretty consistent these days that uh, everybody uh, doesn't particularly care for in their elected official. Hmm. Okay, well, let's go to another candidate in North Carolina. You know, in Texas, there was just a special election, and the candidate that was endorsed by both Donald Trump and the Club for Growth lost, lost the election. Well, in North Carolina, both Donald Trump and the Club for Growth endorsed Representative Ted Budd in next year's U.S. Senate Republican primary. Does Bud even have any chance against someone like former Governor McCrory in, in, in the campaign? Would, would Trump and the Club for Growth be supporting a loser once again? Yeah, Bud's not doing that well in the primary. He's uh, not particularly well-known statewide. Uh-huh. Uh, he represents part of central North Carolina in the House. But he really doesn't have much of a statewide profile. Uh, his fundraising hasn't been great despite the Trump endorsement. It seems like a lot of Trump voters just aren't sold on him yet. Uh, that that to me is uh, that that to me is very interesting that they're they're not really sold on him yet. They're not really sure if he's uh, if he's going to be their guy. Um, well, and I don't think he's necessarily supportive of McCrory. Uh, uh, despite his uh, conservatism, you know his his loss did pave the way for a Democratic governor. So I don't think uh, I don't think the base is going to be too happy with him. Hmm. So uh, do do you think then that particular primary is kind of a wide open race, or? Yeah. Yeah, I I would say so. Yeah. Um, there is a, a third candidate, former Congressman Mark Walker. He was the first candidate to jump in, just uh-huh. hasn't found any support at all. Uh, yeah, he's very conservative, but he comes from the more evangelical lane of the party. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, barely anybody uh, seems to notice his presence. Um, yeah, it, it's a wide-open primary, despite the Trump endorsement. Um, he might have... Uh, he probably should have waited to see if anyone else 
would get in. Um, anybody else a little bit more uh, charismatic than Ted Budd? Hmm. Well, Drew, I thank you for uh, answering my questions. I thank you for being back on with us tonight, and I'm going to send it back to David. David? Yes, well, Drew, I wanted to follow up about um, Madison Cawthorn. Um, you know, he had been sitting on the plane. Now, has he kind of been like, oh, it was a mistake, or has he kind of been like, why can't we carry guns on planes is his defense? <laughs> Yeah, he's been going. Yeah, he said it was a mistake that it was his. Uh, uh, he accidentally took along his uh, gun range bag uh, with him. <laughs> That's what uh, he's saying. Uh, so yeah, he'll likely face some yeah, fine. And, and um, yeah, and he'll probably lose his um, if he has um, um, CSA pre-check, like most members of Congress do. He'll lose that privilege and instead have to go through the. Uh, normal security line like everybody else. Hmm. Yes. Um, well, the reason I asked that is because, you know, I, I don't know if Madison Cawthorn, maybe he's smart enough to know that, you know, because of airlocks, you just can't have gun and possible terrorism. I mean, you can't have guns on planes. But I do, say, I do think there's some people – um, representative from Colorado who owns the restaurant where the waitresses carry guns. I'm looking at you. Well, yeah. they, they may not understand the science behind, you know, what a gunshot, you know, breaking the airlock would do, and they may just be so positive on having guns everywhere. They want to push to allow guns on planes and say, you know, hey, the criminals won't have the guns. It'll be the good, honest folks, you know, even though people's guns have gone off accidentally in their sweatpants. Um, you know, but are we going to get to see some push where some of these folks want to allow guns on airplanes? Yeah, Lauren Boebert, definitely. Yeah, she, um, I think she seems to view guns as, as more, of a, a more of a toy. Uh, than anything else, I, I think, is her approach. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia, too, is another one uh, quite like that, another bomb thrower. Yeah, there could be a push uh, from Republicans definitely to get to, to loosen airline security rules. I, I would not uh, rule that out. I think this, I, I'm surprised that um, somebody hasn't already introduced that bill uh, maybe someone has, and I, I don't know, uh, given that uh, a lot of bills do get introduced in Congress. But, yeah, I, I would not be surprised if that becomes the newest rallying cry. Yeah, and then I wonder, like, if they started that and the push came, then where do the airlines then do they have to then push back and say, look, this is just – you know, bizarre. I mean, I mean, and it all goes back to what we're seeing about the total disregard for science in that party. At the same time, the total just love and worship of guns, um, you know, unfettered access. Um, I, I could see this happening, and I didn't know if, if Madison Cawthorn, because a lot of these folks, they don't want to admit wrong. Um, even, oh, it was a mistake. They And I didn't know if this was going to be a push, you know, to say, hey, um, why can't we have guns there? So glad to hear he didn't, but I'm fearful of what can happen yeah. in the future. Yeah, some of these other folks, yeah, some of these other folks might not be so quick to apologize as Hawthorne did. Yeah, 
Well, Drew, I tell you what, since you mentioned Marjorie Taylor Greene, that's, you know, where Tim and I live, and and this time it appears she's going to have much more robust um, Democratic opposition. Kind of tell us your take on um, her reelection race and, and uh, you know, the field and all. Yeah, so she represents uh, a pretty deep red seat in northwest uh, Georgia. Um, she's not from there, uh, obviously, as, as it's well known that she's, um, you know, she's really from Cobb County. That's uh, where she lived previously before moving into the district after she was elected. Uh, yeah, she's got a lot of Democratic candidates, but it's, uh, uh, it, it's a very red seat. Um, and a lot depends, you know, I, I'm curious about redistricting, you know, whether uh, – uh, anybody in the legislature, you know, tries to, um, uh, in some form, you know, kind of dilute her primary base. Uh, but uh, that uh, probably seems unlikely at this point, given her uh, celebrity status of the party. Uh, it seems like she'll be there yeah, for Yeah, redistricting, I know there's a lot of uh, thoughts in it, but of course – what we're hearing is redistricting in not only Georgia, but a lot of states may not occur in mm-hmm. time for 2022. Um, is that the read you're getting kind of nationwide? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Some states, uh, yeah, every state is different. Yeah, some have to uh, get it done very quickly as soon as they get the data, uh, which should be uh, this month uh, on the 16th. The census should send out the data uh, necessary for redistricting, but uh, a couple states, Illinois in December, their filing deadline is December, so they've got to get it done very quickly. Uh, There's not much time for any disagreement on what the maps look like. Everybody's got to get in line, Uh, so uh, we'll see if everybody does. I doubt it. Um, you know, every every redistricting cycle, there's always you know uh, uh, an incumbent member of Congress who makes some you know silly request. You know, they want you know X area in their district. You know, this is my childhood home. You know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, well, it's my favorite like, part. Yeah, well, in a state like Georgia, it's 14 before to be 14 again. It's you know. If we drag our feet or get or fast, it doesn't affect anybody else. But let's say Alabama drags their feet, and I don't. They're not losing a seat anymore. Let me think of. A, tell me a state that's losing a seat. Uh, is New York losing one or two? Uh, one. One. Okay, New York drags their feet. North Carolina, y'all are gaining a seat, correct? Yep. Yes, we are. Yep. Okay, y'all get y'all's answer to picnic. You've got your new districts. Y'all, y'all going to have 14 seats, if I'm not mistaken. 13 now. you got yep. your 14 seats. New York, I don't know how many they have right now, but they drag their feet, uh, and they keep the old lines. We can't have extra members of Congress, can we? Yeah, no. No, but yeah, losing, losing a seat is a lot harder than gaining one because that means somebody's got to go. Um, it's, yeah. it's always a tough decision to make. Nobody ever likes to have to get uh, drawn out, but um, there already is uh, one retirement from Western New York, the Republican, uh, Tom Reed. He had um, a Me Too scandal, Um, so he's uh, he's not going to run again, which makes it a lot easier to uh, chop everything up out West. Hmm. Uh, Yeah. Well, I, I just know that, like, if, it seems like all states kind of have to be on the same page. 
um, to to make yeah. it work out at the yeah. national level. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we'll have to see, um, but I mean yeah. that that is going to affect a lot of places. Yeah, I would say the state yeah. that's really having the most trouble right now is New Jersey, since they have to have um, they have this weird system where the two parties pick um, six members each on the redistricting commission, and then they have to pick a thirteenth member who serves as a tiebreaker. Well, the two parties don't agree on who they want as tiebreaker, uh, and the state supreme court keeps telling the legislature they don't want to have to pick a tiebreaker on the map. They don't want to have to involve themselves in such a partisan decision. Everything's at a standstill right now. Uh, nobody can come to an agreement. But we'll see what happens Yeah, there. that sounds like a – that doesn't sound like a well-designed system from the get-go. Yeah, um, no. But, you know, uh, it, it would – yeah, it, even even at times where you know uh, my party may be the minority, uh, it just makes sense for whoever's in control um, yeah. to have a little more control. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, or you can have it. Um, yeah, it seems like a, a relic of of an era long past when uh, there was much more agreement between the parties. These days, asking them to agree on who's going to draw the map. That that's just not possible. They that's just not going to be uh, doable. Nobody wants to agree on that. Everybody has their own thing they want to do with redistricting. Yep. Put in a computer and draw how many receipts you got. A bunch of fifty-fifty maps, um, and, and let the voters actually decide. <laughs> the, you know, and and really have some. Um, uh, swing districts truly where campaigns would matter again. That'd be a beautiful system. Well, Drew, uh, we appreciate getting you on the show again. Uh, tell our listeners where they can uh, read your thoughts and witticisms. Yeah, uh, so they can uh, follow me on Twitter at Drew Sav. Um, I'm not currently uh, employed anywhere, but um, keep on the lookout for that. I've uh, a job interview recently, so uh, we'll see how that uh, pans out. Yep. Well, um, just drive down the road. It says now hiring. Some places even give you a free meal if you work there and, and pay today <laughs> and all kind of good incentives. So it's out there. Well, Drew, thanks again for coming on the Code Vine tonight. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. Good deal. All right, Drew Savicki, uh, definitely follow on on um, uh, Twitter. And then if you have not read those columns that Tim referenced on uh, 270 to win, I would highly recommend those. Tim, we got just a minute or two more. Um, let's kind of just talk about We're not going to get to our Wisconsin buy-sell hold. We'll have to hold right. on that until another week. Right. Um, but let's talk about old Madison Cawthorn. Cawthorn. I mean, do you uh, kind of follow what I'm saying? Is there a chance that Republicans, I mean, maybe the Lauren Boberts, the uh, Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, um, I'm sure there's other ones I'm forgetting that are just guns here, there, and everywhere. Do they um, then end up saying, hey, why can't we bring them on planes? Well, they'd, they'd love to do that right now. They'd, they'd love to carry guns onto the House floor. They'd love to carry guns everywhere. They'd love to have small towns that were the 
town councils mandates like they tried to do in Kennesaw a few years ago that every household has to have a gun in it and that sort of thing. Of course they want to push things that far. They think uh, that I, I think there's some true believers in that crowd, number one. And number two, I think that's their niche politically to get themselves noticed, especially if they're on the fringe of that issue, which Lauren Boebert certainly is. I'm not sure that Madison Cawthorn is. I just think he knows how to push buttons to get on television, and he's doing a pretty good job of it. Uh, I'm just surprised at that Western North Carolina district. David, it hadn't been that long ago that he's Sheila you know, was the congressman over there. I know they're conservative, but I just didn't think that they would go that far uh, with, yeah. with somebody. Well, and, and I think, uh, you know, Asheville is one of those odd towns that's in a rural southern area and a mountain yeah. area that's very liberal. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't right. mean like, you know, union working class liberalism. I mean – it's um, something you would see in a, in a much larger city. Um, it's that yeah. kind of, you know, more college town liberalism, and it's not Appalachian it State is. creating it. It's a very unique place, yeah. and, and without looking on a map, I wonder if it's been split into two to dilute its voting power, and that may impact it as well. Because if the Republicans mm-hmm. are going to crack and pack everywhere they can, they're going to crack that um, – City of Asheville. They're going to have a time adding that congressional seat. That's going to be that's going to be a cat fight over there. Mark my word on that. Yeah, because you've got to have a map that's uh, signed by the governor, and the governor's a Democrat. Um, yeah, so that, that's another thing. That's another thing. <laughs> yeah, that's going to end yeah. up in the courts. That's what's going to happen there. Yeah, well, and that map already skews pretty Republican. If the if the uh-huh. thing was, you know, seven Republican leaning seats and six Democratic leaning seats, then you might could say, hey, let's keep that balance, and then the fourteenth one, let's try to create a pretty fifty fifty district and let the voters decide. But the map is pretty skewed already, uh, artificially in in favor of Republicans. So, um, yeah. you know, it's it's going to be a much uh, you know, drawn out process, and it's really going to be something to see when when these uh, redistricting battles start to happen. Well, we want to thank, yeah, we want to thank Drew again, and until next week, that's been the Cudsey Vine. Good night, everybody. Good night. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united America.